Thank you for joining us today on this edition of Victory XR's XR Learning Program. I am Steve Grubbs, the, uh, your host, the founder of Victory XR, and uh, today we have with us Jeremy Nelson. And Jeremy is the director of the XR Initiative at the University of Michigan. And of, there's, there's a small handful of universities that are doing some advanced and, and amazing things in, um, in, in the world of AR and VR. But, but the University of Michigan is arguably the one that's the most advanced. And I think Stanford's in that group and, and a couple of others. So um, we're very excited to, to learn essentially a path or some paths to integrating AR and VR into a, a campus, and especially in these extremely unique times. So, uh, Jeremy, thank you uh, for being with us. If you would, tell us just a little bit about your background. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with you today and, and share what we're doing and, and um, hopefully inspire others uh, along the path. I think it's going to take all of us. Uh, yeah, so I'm the director of the Extended Reality Initiative at the University of Michigan. This is a, I'll say new-ish, started in the fall of 2019, uh, a provost-level initiative to bring XR technologies uh, for teaching and learning broadly across the university. So we have 19 schools and colleges in our Ann Arbor campus. And so we were tasked with uh, providing support to all of those schools and colleges. We don't live within one you know, a computer science department or within the art school or something like that. So we're, we're here to support everyone, um, both residentially um, and in our online curricula. So prior to COVID, uh, we had already been far along the path of creating uh, MOOCs and master tracks and hybrid degree programs through uh, Coursera and edX and FutureLearn. Um, we just surpassed our 10 millionth learner. Uh, recently that has taken a University of Michigan produced course. So we have a, a center for academic innovation here that has learning experience designers, UX staff, media designers, design managers, video production, software development. So we have a team of about 100 folks and our, our initiative uh, lives within that team, kind of incubates within that team. So we have access to this, this great set of resources and, and colleagues. And uh, we have two developers on our team. And so you know, we really work to, to bring these technologies to that space, as well as creating innovative public-private partnerships. And so we're looking at where do we partner with folks, where do we kind of use tools that are more commercially available. But before we go in more in depth on that, let, I want yeah. to talk just real briefly about your background, because you know, of course, if the University of Michigan, Michigan is going to launch this, they're going to want somebody with an extensive background in in, in professorial activities and, and all of those things. And so uh, where did you come from? Sure, sure. So I actually have an interesting path. So I graduated computer engineering from the University of Michigan. So coming home in, in some way, um, but I've always been um, interested in, you know, I think Excel at creating, creating new programs, creating new, uh, I'll say initiatives. Um, I, I created a whole, say, uh, electronic health record initiative uh, at the county government here right out of undergrad and, and scaled that to multiple counties and across states. I, I founded and ran a healthcare management consulting firm for 12 years. We provided support across 30 some states and 200 clients. And so really, I saw my role as kind of bringing together a community 
helping mobilize the efforts, um, bringing structure and process. So I'm, I'm about process and, and scale and structure. And so it was, it was a bit of a leap. I, I didn't have direct XR experience prior to this, um, but I did, you know, I'm a technologist at heart. Uh, I, I understand how to, to kind of the intersection of change and technology and, and people. And so I saw this as a great opportunity to kind of build something new here at the university. Yeah, so I think I think the point that I that interests me here is that the university did not reach within uh, somebody from their existing uh, established campus bureaucracy. That mm -hmm. they reached outside of the university and found someone who is both an entrepreneur mm -hmm. and a natural builder. And that that builder piece is what I, I think a lot of people miss is that some people are just builders. They just like you know they start from scratch, they build it, and then once it's built. They're not going to ride it out. They're going to move on and build something new. And that strikes me that you're that person. You know, when I look back on my career, those those are the areas that I've enjoyed the most. And I think I've I've, I've built uh, you know the, this program at the county. I've built this company that's still you know thriving and and going forth, and hopefully do the same thing here. Yeah, I and i understand that you know I, I i'm building my third and fourth companies now because you know once they're built okay but <laughs> I, I love you know the, the challenge of starting from scratch and i have to think you know you have been in the private sector for the most part but now you're working through a an established institution that's been around for mm -hmm. 150 years 200 years 200 wow okay 200 <laughs> years right and, and that's and that has to have unique challenges rather mm -hmm. than where you came from before. Talk a little bit about overcoming, uh, you know, whatever inertia you need. Sure, sure. I think, you know, one of the benefits we had for sure is this, this was a provost level initiative. So we had some, you know, signaling already out of the gate that, you know, this is, this is a strategic priority for the university. Um, you know, like, like many uh, large higher education institutions, you know, there's a lot of deep expertise and, and I'll say a lot of, not necessarily silos, but kind of people in their own space, kind of working on their own thing, heads down, whether it be in architecture or engineering or you know, kinesiology, wherever it is, they're just kind of focused in that space. So you know, some of it was trying to connect with all the places where we had XR interest and XR activity. So um, that was a little bit of a challenge, you know, obviously, you know, not being the one in charge, uh, like can't just unilaterally make decisions. That's more of a personal set of challenges, but I, you know, I'm fine with that. I was I'm always think in a collaborative standpoint and, you know, even running a company, we had 50 some clients that you know, I had to work with and, you know, I couldn't just make unilateral decisions. So it, this is a little bit of a shift, you know, working in a larger institution um, space. Though I will say there, there was already a, a fertile uh, bed of, of interest and activity here. So prior to, you know, one of the reasons the initiative was created was uh, there were a number of faculty already working in the space from School of Music, from Engineering, from School of Information, um, in Nursing, Medicine, and they had put together a, a faculty committee a few years back to really explore what, what could the university do. And they made you know, a set of recommendations. Uh, one of those was creating a graduate certificate program in XR which just got approved last winter and is going into effect this fall. Great. So any, any graduate student in 12 of our 19 schools, and I can send you a link to where that is later, can take an additional 12 credits and get a certificate in XR. 
Um, so that, that was kind of the, the foundation of it. And then, you know, out of that, it was like, wow, we, we should do something broader. And so the initiative was created and I was hired last fall to come in and do that. So my first task uh, was just to, to survey and get a lay of the land. So try to talk to as many people as we, I could that were interested in XR, were doing something in XR, and then at least one person from each of the schools to, to evangelize in some degree. So I, I don't know how it'll be going forward, but at the time I had a quest in my backpack and I was going around meeting with, with faculty across campus. And it's like, oh, you don't know anything about this here. Oh, Try this. Fun. And I could right. pop them into VR in you know, less than a minute, which is super powerful. You talked a, about a three-pronged approach, yep. three yep. goals in the mission. Can yeah. you cover those with us real quick? Yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of briefly touched on them before. So the first goal is bring XR technologies for teaching and learning uh, on campus. So to support all 19 schools and colleges. Uh, bring our XR technologies and, and content to the online curricula. So through our connections with Coursera and edX. We're working with a faculty in the School of Information right now to produce an XR MOOC specialization called the Learning, Doing, and Shaping the Future of XR. And so that'll be really targeted and focused on how to do design, how to actually build, and how to, uh, just an interesting uh, perspective, unique approach, I think. And then our third goal is creating these innovative public-private partnerships. Okay. So having conversations with you know HP and Unity and Unreal and Victory XR and other platforms and, and content providers. So, you know, there'll, there'll be some things we can do ourselves, but I know there'll be partnerships we'll have to forge and with, with other entities in terms of looking at scale, right? How yeah. do we start to deliver content and distribute it and the types of headsets and the support for that? And, and while we do have a, a great visualization studio XR lab today that has about 30 workstations that are all equipped with sit stand desks and you know g4 hp workstations and rift s is a great place to go you know build and make and teach um you know not everybody can go to that space as we yeah. progress and then, you know and, and, and you know getting started you got to do something to sort of seed the project yep. seed yeah move forward to, to get that uh forward momentum and you guys started that with sort of a, an internal grant program. Is mm -hmm. that how you mm -hmm. would describe it? Yeah. So, you know, we living within the Center for Academic Innovation, which uh, w one of the most successful methods for engaging faculty in the MOOC space, you know, six years ago until now, it was like a lot of folks weren't quite sure what that was or resistant to it, took an approach of we would uh, seed projects out of an internal set of funds. And so if faculty want to build a MOOC, they can apply for that. We would. Let me, let me pause you. MOOC. Would MOOC, you a massively on? open online course. So the, these courses you go take on Coursera, global learners, you know, we, we've had a faculty in the School of Information create a course called Python for everybody that over a million people, it's probably almost 2 million by now, have taken around the world. Wow. Um, you know, for various reasons, right? Like Python drives a lot of the web and, and AI and machine learning and a lot of the web these days, uh, integrations. And so like just massive like numbers and, and people taking courses. And I think I heard a story at one point where 
they were able to use the data to improve the course. Like there was one of the lectures, you know, they, they came back to the faculty and said, 50,000 people have paused the video in this like 30 second wow. segment. Something, and then they went back and rewatched it. So something's happening here. And so he watched it and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I could say that differently. And so they went and re-recorded that segment so they can use the data to inform you know, continuous improvement. And so that space uh, uh, offered just different unique opportunities to reimagine courses. So it wasn't just like taking your course and putting it online. So in that model, we took a similar approach and said, okay, well, to, you know, these can often be expensive, you know, labor intensive projects to get started. Let's, let's create an XR innovation fund and uh, seek requests for proposal of how they would want to use XR in the classroom. And so uh, we received 16 proposals from eight of our schools. Um, everything from creating a virtual nuclear reactor for our nuclear engineering program to uh, a chemotherapy simulation training for nursing students to an immersive audio toolkit for School of Music um, to a VR physics lab. So pretty broad set of projects. Um, we actually had faculty in our humanities program that have, that have taught with XR. Uh, we had a faculty in English teach a course called The Novel and Virtual Realities, where they read novels and explored VR titles and VR content and then critiqued them and, and created a, you know, an evaluate, evaluation or evaluative like, style of, of how does this technology support and why is it always first person? And, and so there's certain things the students began to, to discern within the technologies. And so we, you know, we had a great set of, of projects to pick from. I was really interested in um, diverse set of projects across schools, across levels of complexity that we could deliver in the next 12 to 18 months. Um, we've hired two XR developers. Uh, we're beginning to hire students. And we really wanted to create a, uh, and I'll say a professional services uh, offering to any faculty across campus that wants to use XR for their classroom or their teaching. And so they, they could come to our group and consult with us about what are they trying to do? What learning goals and objectives are they trying to achieve? And why XR? Does, does the AR make sense? Does VR make sense? Does some other traditional mode, would it work better? Right. The, the, the use case is very important here. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, research, the research behind the learning is, is still you know, early. It's still not very clear like where best to deploy the technologies, what types of interactions. You know, it's a little bit clearer, I'll say, on the, the simulations within nursing and medicine and psychomotor where you're actually doing a procedure. Um, right. it's, not so, it's not so clear in some of the other spaces. And so um, we've been partnering with our School of Education. We've had some faculty there that are very interested in studying ed tech and like now in XR how best do students learn in this space? Right, let, me, let me jump in there. For any yeah. of our listeners, uh, if you are want to see some of the best data I've seen, and, and Jeremy, I'm sure you've seen this, the, the PwC, the PricewaterhouseCoopers mm -hmm. study that was released about two weeks ago. Yep. Google the uh, PwC virtual reality uh, training study or, or just check my LinkedIn. It's a, uh, it's a great study and it provides yeah, it's the most thorough study I've seen. So, and the results are very impressive on the side of kinesthetic learning, learning by. Yep. yep. So, um, yep. Let, let me jump to. I want to talk about a couple of things. Um, first of all, uh, 
so a plug for what we are doing in this space, we have built a, a campus, a, a group collaborative. So in the world of VR, there's essentially two places you can go. And I'm not telling this to Jeremy, I'm just sort of explaining to everybody. Mm -hmm. You've got the, the, the simulator approach where you put on your headset and you're in there and you're doing it and it's an individual solo experience. And now what's really breaking out here in 2020 in a big way is, is collaborative group VR, whether it's from Altspace or Engage or many of the other platforms that are, that are being developed out there. And so what we've done is we've built a, a university campus and a K-12 campus on top of the Engage platform where teachers and professors can come inside and, and run their classes using lesson plans and 3D objects and field trips that we've supplied. So my question to you, Jeremy, is within that, um, are you, I assume you've primarily been um, pursuing the individual simulator VR to this point, but where are you with, with both of those categories? Yeah, I think, you know, the long-term strategy for sure is to begin to uh, partner on a platform that would allow more content creators, right? Content, creating enough content to justify purchasing dozens, hundreds, maybe thousands of devices. Uh, we'll see, you know, it doesn't make sense at this point to buy so many devices when we only have one or two titles that students could even use and within one or two courses or three courses. So, so part of my strategy was developing these experiences that are cross discipline to show other faculty, oh, this is what's possible. Now, we can't continue to just build out complete 3D, you know, environments in Unity and Unreal forever, right? There's a certain limitation. Now, there's certain projects where that makes sense, and we'll continue to do that. But we're also thinking about uh, other platforms that enable more content generation, uh, specifically in the 360 space. Um, I think that's that's a sh easier lift for folks that have... A, base video production skills, traditional video production skills, I'll say. And then other platforms like yours that allow faculty to bring in 3D objects and then teach in a way uh, that's more familiar to them where they can bring their pieces together and, and construct the lesson around that. Um, so yeah, we're thinking kind of multi-level to, to make this sustainable, to prove that it works. And, and know where best do we deploy VR, where best we deploy AR and, and what modality, you know, what methods, where does a, something that could be accessed on a web and a phone and or a headset make the most sense? You know, we're a public research institution. We, we, we think a lot about accessibility and equity and, and making sure we're not creating learning experiences that are only accessible by folks that can afford it. Let's talk a little, I mean, what I know is <laughs> everybody out there that's not doing this yet, the first thing they always think about is, oh, what about headsets? Or as people call them, goggles. Um, <laughs> yep. So that's a big issue. And I, I'll stop and say this is being recorded in July of 2020. So if you are watching this well into the future, the next information that you hear may have changed dramatically. <laughs> yep. Jeremy, talk, uh, you've, you've experienced a lot of headsets, so have yep. I. Yep. What are your observations about the various headsets out there and their place in the market and in the university? Yeah, I think, you know, when it was safe or when it becomes safe again to, to go into labs or, or sharing headsets, you know, a university can be a great place for students to have access to more advanced technology that they may not be able to afford or purchase or even know about 
right? So it's very important to have that lab space or a place where somebody can go try high-end equipment, let's say like a Valve uh, Vario or, you know, Vive Pro, Rift S's. So the lab we have on campus now is important. It really started out of a, a couple of years ago, the, the emerging tech group set up a couple of workstations that had enough GPU and horsepower and put a couple of VR headsets at it. And we're like, let's see if anyone comes in like almost a makerspace. And quickly, it, students and faculty gravitated to that. And they're like, wow, there's something here. So let's build a bigger space. And so, yeah, the, the space now really has all the software you'd need to design and develop 3D Studio Max and Maya and Unreal and Unity and kind of anything you'd want to build is available on those machines. So just giving people access to that uh, is important. Now, in terms of headsets, you know, really, I'll say up until this last year, right, uh, you needed a tethered headset to a powerful machine, unless you were going with the, the cardboard, you know, mobile phone based, which is... I would say has retreated lately. I think, you know, maybe it'll come back again in, in a different iteration of uh, devices with whatever Apple ends up doing. And maybe Google, Google does in the future with, with glasses or goggles. We'll see what happens there. But in terms of, uh, you know, the wireless devices, wireless headsets like an Oculus Quest or a, a Pico Neo 2, which I finally just received mine uh, to test out. It got lost in the mail during the lockdowns here, uh, but yeah. I found it. And so that offers just an amazing ability to get somebody into VR very quickly. Like I mentioned before, when I was going around campus meeting with faculty, you know, I, within a minute, I had a faculty in our public policy, our school of public policy on the International Space Station. Right. 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 Like just the ability to like, because you know this is a, this is a technology where you can talk about it and we can show videos, but until you put that thing on, if you've never done it, like it's, you can't you can't explain it in a way that does it justice. It's like going to the Grand Canyon, right? Like you can see videos, you can see pictures. Until you've been there, like just to feel the space and the presence, it has a similar it's a similar type effect. Talk, talk a little bit real quick about. What are the advantages of the tethered headset in today's environment of sure. the untethered? And then, you know, maybe two of the on each side. Sure. Yeah. I mean, in terms of a, a tethered headset, what you mean, it's, it's plugged into a, a computer. Um, the, the types of experiences and titles that you can create uh, are much more powerful, much more photorealistic. You can take advantage of the, the CPU and the, the GPU of that machine. So, if you want to run a more graphically intensive experience or more photo real, um, that is still the best, you know, the more, most, more, more horsepower, more RAM, more GPU provides a better experience. And really it's to keep up with the frame rate of the headset. So the, you know, if the frame rate starts to dip, um, it can really cause problems for a user in the space where they can get nauseous. They can, you know, I've had some that don't keep up and I just, I have to take it off. I'm going to throw up. Or I'm right. gonna, have you know. tried the HP reverb yet? I haven't tried the reverb yet. Um, we were, we've been in talks with them about uh, uh, collaboration. And so uh, the, the reverb's clarity is amazing. So like we, yeah. we create a lot of animal dissection products in VR with Carolina Biological. And it's just a richer experience when you view it from the reverb. But, um, but, but you know, you're going to pay for the, he right. the headset and the computer. So, the tethered to me is more of a station-based approach. It's not a one-to-one -one student approach, right. and, which is fine because, you know, a lot of us learn computers uh, in a station-based 
setting yep. and that works yep. well. Yep. Uh, so talk a little bit, I, you've sort of covered it already, but from a student perspective, what, what do you think the future is with the untethered headsets? I mean, I mean, it's, it's just more access, right? Like we, our lab is, you know, if anybody knows the University of Michigan campus, we have a North campus and a Central campus and it's a mile and a half apart, but you would think it was like, Mars and Jupiter, right? Like it's for students, like um, that's, it's just, oh my gosh, I have to take the bus to get up there. It can become a barrier. Um, so I think the ability to access content and access the titles and wherever they are, whether it be in their dorm, in their house, uh, other library settings on the central campus, or just kind of wherever, I think offers just uh, a lot more opportunity to bring people into the space or in a classroom, right? Or you know, now COVID or however this is going to look long term, I think, you know, there'll be some things that'll stay this hybrid or some people remote, some people in person. I think this technology really has an opportunity to transform what's possible with the way we teach. Yeah. The, what's interesting about the Pico Neo 2 is that it now has eye tracking. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know you just got yours and, and I haven't had a chance to, um, experience eye tracking in it yet but one of the things we're looking at is uh in our corporate training products like uh, we have a product where you learn to drive a forklift and we can actually score this is both with the uh, vive pro i and the pico neo we can score whether they turned around and looked at the human being behind them mm -hmm. or if they read the warning signs on the walls and we actually know did they look at those things and, and so that's part of their score in learning to train is what did they look at? Not did they just complete the tasks they're assigned, but did they mm -hmm. actually look at all the things they're supposed to look at? And so, you know, that's a big question on use cases is where does that eye tracking right. come in? And um, so. Which then opens up a whole nother discussion about data privacy and yes. who owns that data and, you know, what, what happens with it. You know, uh, I mean, the, the quest is powerful. It's owned by Facebook, right? Yeah. They're, they're a business, they're a data business, right? Yes. So what, what's going to happen with that data? You know, I think one thing to, to mention, if folks aren't familiar with these devices, these wireless headsets, and it's basically a mobile phone processor and GPU in that device. So it, the types of experiences, the types of photo reel that you can do today is very limited. Yes. So we, I was just having a discussion yesterday, our... One of our faculty in our film, TV, and media department worked with our emerging technology group here before I started to create a, a VR experience for uh, first-year film students. To uh, They recreated the last scene from Citizen Kane, all in 3D, uh, with, a, a 3D uh, with a camera from the time period, and they can go reshoot that last scene of the film. And so they just rolled it out last semester. Um, it was primarily built to run on a, a computer with large graphics processor, so it had to run on a Rift. Um, but from an accessibility standpoint, we'd always built, a, we'd always planned to build a desktop version. Just, you just don't get the same feel of looking around and feeling like you're on the set. Um, and so we've been in discussions with how do we make that more available to folks, especially now, and, and what would it take to bring that to a wireless device? And what sort of, you know, uh, compositing or like de 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 deconstructing the, the model to, to make it fit on that processor is, well, you, you might lose a lot. My little plug here is I would love to have them reshoot it in our performing arts theater on our campus. 
even though they would be avatars, sure. it would still be pretty cool. So throw that out to them. Well, yeah. I mean, where virtual production's going and things like what's happening with Disney and the Mandalorian and like yes. these spaces, I think that's, you know, for film, for sure, that's the future um, in real time. And for our listeners, I think, and tell me if you know otherwise, I think the top three untethered headsets right now are the Oculus Quest, the um, Vive Focus, and mm-hmm. the Vive Focus Plus, really, Pico mm-hmm. Neo. Yep. Probably the, the, and they're sixed off, and we don't really have time to get into the difference between sixed off and three off, but suffice it to say that sixed off is a, a fully realistic movement and motion headset versus three dog which is loses one layer of that uh, that realism you but can't you know, move you can't move through the space yeah right other than those three any others that uh, we sh- people should know about i don't know any at scale in july of 2020 uh yeah. where where we are i think those you nailed them with those and the tethered headsets that that uh listeners can can research uh oculus rift and the vive uh, by HTC were the really the first two on the market, and then mm-hmm. uh, Microsoft Windows put out their mixed reality, which is yep. what the, uh, Reverb HP Reverb is connected to, yep. and then um, Steam has has the um, the Valve Index. Valve Index, yes, uh, and I have not tried the Valve Index yet. Yeah, I haven't either. And then and then if you're really going high end, there's the Vario, um, which gets up in like super photorealistic, uh, you know, $10,000 headset. So that's, that's pretty far out there. I haven't tried that yet either. Yeah. Um, and, and then uh, Magic Leap. Well, yep. any, that's more sort of a combination of augmented reality and virtual reality. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of Microsoft's, you know, coined it mixed reality. Um, so Microsoft has their HoloLens, and then they just came out with their HoloLens 2 recently. Um, Magic Leap, is a, these are augmented reality headsets, goggles, so I have a, a HoloLens 2 right here. So you know, well, that's the two. That's the two. So you know, you wow. put it on your head, you know, it can flip up. And so it brings um, digital content into the real world. Um, so that presents other unique opportunities. We've been having conversations with, you know, our Michigan Medicine and School of Nursing about how they can begin to, to treat patients and, and teach students um, with this sort of technology where the, you know, it's not safe right now to have all those people in the room with the patient. Right, right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I think we covered most of the, the big ones. Um, yeah. So let's, let's go out with um, your final, what I would be interested in is at the university level, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just a handful of schools that are, that are serious about integrating AR and VR into their learning. Yep. Where do you see AR and VR learning in the United States one year from now, and then if you want to be somewhat bold, five years from now. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's there's a lot of institutions very interested in in, in working through this space, and there's a number of others that were there before us. Um, so I think you know in the next year, you know, I think we'll have more you know, broader adoption. So the more use, more content, more use cases, specifically in targeted areas. I think architecture. Uh, nursing, medicine, um, for sure. I think in terms of skill-based training, there's a lot of interesting opportunities in uh, areas like social work, uh, law, business, where you could create these skill-based trainings to you know go practice your oral arguments in, in front of a, 
a court or a jury or the Supreme Court. You, you know, you could practice giving a pitch for a business school student or practice negotiating. So I think there's opportunities to use that immersive space and with that combining technologies like AI and machine learning and voice, you know, natural language processing. And there's some already some interesting work in that space to create a, a more realistic experience there. Um, you know, I'll say we'll have, I think we'll be a little bit further along about where these technologies work better in certain cases where they don't, hopefully with some of the research others and, and we'll be creating, you know, I would say further out, you know, I mean, these, these are technologies, right? These are tools to help enhance the learning. So I think, you know, uh, they'll play a, a key role in more personalized learning. Uh, I think we'll have, you know, mass training for nurses and, and, and physicians and, and healthcare professionals. You know, I think remote education will look completely different uh, in terms of how these technologies are used to deliver that and, and give that sense of presence. And a lot of folks are trying to solve that right now, especially as we're all home. How do you feel like we're more in the same space? How do you bring that to more folks? Um, you know, and be able to rapidly develop these skill-based trainings so it's much faster. So it's, you know, days instead of months or, or years. Um, you know, the technology can be used to raise awareness around social disparities. And there's some very interesting work being done out of Columbia with Dr. Courtney Cogburn and uh, other, you know, projects that will explore empathy and explore perspective from people of different uh, backgrounds and different life experiences. The technology can really take you to interesting places there. Empathy, as mm -hmm. they say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, last, last question. Universities, some universities are moving forward. Some universities are going to be laggards in this space. Yep. What, is, what do you think is the impact on recruiting uh, students to attend a university or college? you think there's uh, a place here for, for universities and colleges to make a, a case for this? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in a couple areas, one, like having access to these experiences, the hardware, like that's, that's always been a, a draw for certain universities, right? You come here and have access to equipment, have access to a cave or hardware that they would use in Hollywood or, or studios. So I think one, it's just access to more of these experiences, content. I think the other is around learning the, the skills on how to, to build in this space and, and be prepared to go work in industry and work in fields that are broad from you know, so many industries are looking at this technology now as a way to deliver you know, corporate training, to deliver like high risk safety training for, you know, people in, in mines or in utility workers or um, nuclear engine, you know, nuclear energy. Um, there's so knowing those skills and how to, how to create with that space and really that combination of like, you know, tell the story, create the experience build the software, I think bringing all those together is, is a unique um, skill set that I think universities can offer. Great. Jeremy Nelson, director of the XR Initiative at the University of Michigan. Go Wolverines. Go Blue. Uh, go Blue. There we go. <laughs> uh, well, I hope you have a football season this fall. I want to have one. We'll see. Yes. <laughs> we shall see. So thanks for joining us today. And um, we uh, look forward to watching your progress there in, uh, in XR. So. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity.